Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, when we reached out to Drs. Chica Daniels and Veronica Finn Bruy to help produce this Real Talk roundtable on Black History Month, we asked them to talk about, you know, Black history in Alberta and Canada, and then to share their personal thoughts as Black immigrants to Canada working in academia and industry. I didn't think it would be nearly as incredible as it was. Why? Because they start real and they keep it real throughout. Prepare to be informed, educated, challenged, and inspired by this dynamic duo in a must-listen Real Talk Roundtable. Then, the first two weeks of this Alberta NDP leadership race, eventful to say the least. Who would have thought two-thirds of the candidates would be campaigning against a consumer carbon tax? Is anybody surprised to see one of them capitalize on that awkward relationship between the provincial and federal parties? And of course, before we wrap, you will not want to miss a wild episode of The Flamethrower. Presented by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to a special edition of Real Talk as we celebrate Black History Month through the month of February. Of course, we assume, hope, trust that you have been learning new details, maybe hearing some new stories about black history in uh, your part of the country. Of course, we'll be focusing most specifically today on our home province of Alberta, but there is a rich and storied history of uh, across the nation in Canada of contributions made by uh, black Canadians in many different industries in many different fields. We're grateful today that uh, two professors from Athabasca University will be joining us to share their personal perspectives and to shed light on black history through Alberta over more than a century. Details on that coming up in 30 seconds. We want to let you know that this episode would not be happening without the support of sponsors partners like our friends at verifiable credentials you've probably heard those stories credential fraud on the rise whether it's nurses oil patch workers uh, personal support workers like those working with seniors in long-term care there's been stories in the news of people faking their credentials essentially saying they are who they in fact are not saying that they are certified or equipped to work with populations when that is not the case luckily there's an innovative technology this is the future right now that's making credential fraud a thing of the past we're starting to see governments including in alberta look to things like digital verifiable credentials because they're secure they're cloud-based and basically you can't forge them Uh, verifiable credentials are tamper-proof independently verifiable they use open web standards and with we know training they can plug seamlessly into your training courses if this is on your radar if this is an issue in your industry and you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program it's simple just visit verifiablecredentials.ca well black history uh, in alberta is uh, a rich and diverse tapestry that spans more than 100 years Uh, the black community has contributed significantly to alberta's cultural social and economic development Uh, more than 100 years ago black settlers arrived in alberta seeking opportunities and facing challenges like racism 
segregation. More on that in just a moment. The vibrant communities, you may have heard of uh, Amber Valley, uh, of Wildwood emerged as important hubs for black settlers. Through the years, black Albertans have made enormous contributions in Alberta, including education, sports, arts, politics. You've heard of pioneers like John Ware, a skilled cowboy, Violet King, the first black Canadian lawyer. Just a couple of examples. Uh, Also, I suspect that we'll get into the civil rights movement today, how it had an impact up north of the U.S. border, leading to an increased awareness and advocacy for equality. But of course, this history is not without its stains. And today, as we dedicate this Friday Real Talk Roundtable to Black History Month. We endeavor to get into it all. And we're grateful that we have two expert perspectives that are going to help school us today. Dr. Veronica Finn Bruy holds six degrees from four continents. She has more than 25 years of research experience, if you can believe it, in more than 30 countries. Uh, She's an assistant professor of legal studies at Athabasca University. She identifies as an indigenous Liberian war survivor and a migrant to Canada. Uh, Dr. Chika C. Daniels has almost 20 years of experience, uh, cross-sector experience in architecture, investment management, private equity, business advisory and development, and community development, which has culminated in her teaching at two of Canada's most respected institutions, the University of Calgary and Athabasca University. Chika is a multiple-awarded entrepreneur, innovator, and leader who continues to be invited to speak on related themes across the country. Uh, Doctors uh, Bruy and Daniels, welcome to Real Talk, and thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you, Thank you. Uh, My understanding is that the two of you have paired up already um, on an important and well-attended event presented by the Athabasca University Students' Union uh, commemorating and celebrating Black History Month. Uh, Dr. Bruy, what did it mean for you to participate in that, and what might be the the general theme of the message that you wanted to make sure you delivered to students? First of all, thank you so much, Ryan. And thank you so much for giving us the opportunity and giving me the opportunity to share my story. As I said to you in the email, usually I don't get called on. I don't get recognized. I I don't get the spotlight. And in any case, I try to avoid the spotlight because with the spotlight as a Black immigrant to this country that is so racist, um, your spotlight means... intimidating other people or making other people feel threatened. And so then uh, you're put in a position of questioning why you even want to appear in these uh, media appearances. So I appreciate it. And honestly, I wouldn't have done it without Chica because having her support and pairing together since we've already done it, as you said, it just makes me feel more comfortable that I'm not alone and I can share that experience with her. So the event we had at- Can, I, can I interrupt University. for one second? Can I, can I just thank you so sincerely for starting this episode in such a real way? I, I, I just, I want to stop and recognize that for a second. Like that means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to this audience. And I also don't take lightly what you're saying, which is deplorable. And, and we'll get into that. But before we get into the bigger picture stuff, that means a lot to me that in your first 30 seconds on the show, you kept it real. That's what we try to do every single day. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I think the, the, the approach that you take 
and how you received us also reflect our ability to feel welcome and real. Hmm. So you too, I said thank you because the way you the approach you use is just very genuine and very accepted. Because I always question, you know, as a black woman, I always question invitations, especially from white people. I'm like, sure. what do they want from me? <laughs> what are they you know, looking for? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but your your approach was very positive and constructive and welcoming. So that's a reflection. So what you give out is what you receive. And that's what I'm reacting to. So mm. thank you as well. Um, regarding our presentation at Athabasca University, for me, it was a personal experience and it's always been a personal experience. My goal personally was to ensure that people forget about all that flair and, you know, glamour that is associated with, oh, she's got six degrees. Oh my gosh, she's teaching at a universe. Forget about all that because at the core of these experiences is the human being. And a human being that is black and a human being that is from Liberia and a human being that identifies as an indigenous person and a human being who is a Liberian. I wanted that to be the most important aspect of that presentation that students would take away. Because I think, honestly, in our experiences as human beings, as we traverse different dispensations and wars and conflicts and violence across the globe, we forget that very basic but core aspect of being human beings and honestly we all want the same thing to be happy to be accepted to be respected and if you can't see that because your skin color is is white or whatever color you want to define it then you have a serious problem Mm. Dr. Daniels, uh, Dr. Dr. Bruy opens with just this such a wonderful personal perspective, uh, obviously uh, indicating that we've got some problems as a nation and that, that folks experience in Canada. Uh, people are not immune to experiencing things like racism, discrimination, intimidation. But how much of what she said, I mean, I, I was watching you listen to her and uh, obviously what she was saying was resonating with you. How much of that might mirror your experience or, or how different might your experience be? Well, first of all, Ryan, thank you for having us. I, I know Veronica has thanked you, but I do also want to thank you. And honestly, when we heard from you, the approach you you applied when you contacted us and saying, you know what, you just want to hear our thoughts, you know, mm -hmm. so you're not going to dictate what we talk about. And we should just come here and be free to express ourselves. And I really want to applaud you for that. Many times when people are invited to sessions, you know, the things we say are kind of... Um, you know, we're kind of steered in the direction that conversation should go, right? You know, the, there's this desire to keep it, you know, aligned with what the um, host or what the organization, you know, is champion, you know, advocating. So first of all, thank you as well for just that clean invitation, huh. you know, blank slate that you've offered us. And so we're really grateful for that. Um, I mean, absolutely. Dr. Brewer just has a way of really saying what people are thinking, especially Black people. And honestly, I don't know there's any Black person who lives in diaspora who hasn't experienced some kind of discrimination. You know, and sometimes it is quite glaring. Other times it's very subtle. You know, there's in in, in conversations, in comments, in, in things like saying, oh, you know what, Dr. Chika, we know you're brilliant. We know you're that. 
maybe wait till next year and then we can think of if we can promote you. Mm. So there's all these subtleties that arise, you know, that, you know, and it makes you feel as if, oh, maybe there's change. But you realize that these are things that are keeping you in place and they want to just maintain a facade of being organizations that recognize diversity, equity, and inclusion, but not quite so, but it's just really superficial, right? And and honestly, Ryan, it, it lends itself to what Black History Month has begun to represent across several contexts, where, you know, there's the fanfare of Black history. And at that time, you realize that organizations are very aware that there's brilliant black people in their cities, but only in February. Hmm. Come and speak about issues, to come and be on flyers with their executive directors, you know, to come and, you know, you know, lead or, you know, um anchor conversations. And then after February, it all dies down. Hmm. So what Dr. Brio and I are really wanting to speak about today mostly is that black history is not just in February, it's February and forever. It really needs that aspect of longevity, right? So yeah, um, yeah. Basically, I, I, you know, we we the, the majority of our audience will listen to this on the podcast. They're, they're going to listen to the audio version of this, and then the you know some of our most engaged audience is going to be watching this. And those that are watching on YouTube can see Dr. Brewery listening to you, and she is just nodding her head. It's like as nodding and nodding, and obviously this message uh, from Chica is resonating with you. Uh, in particular, it seems to me you got a real chuckle out of when she said the executive directors of your organizations, the CEOs of your companies, want you to appear in photos. They want to put you on the playbills. They want to put you up front and center in February, but not through the rest of the year. And you alluded to this yourself, uh, Veronica, talking about your own academic career. This is the type of thing that people may say, but hang on, it's 2024. I thought that we were past this stuff. Absolutely, Ryan. I mean, um, the truth is we have to learn to add humor to this dehumanizing experience hmm. because otherwise you won't survive. And for me, specifically as a war survivor who's gone through the worst of humanity, you know, I sit back and just honestly add a little bit of mischief to these uh, uh, presentations, you know, um, allyship. And we are doing something, EDI, that's a curse word for me. I never use that word anymore because it's so adulterated and contaminated with all kinds of sinister behavior that I personally I try to just not associate myself with EDI. Because when 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 Dr. Chica was saying that, that was what I was thinking about. How many times have I been told? I just have to be the poster. And I mean, honestly, I don't want to put people on the spot because there's certainly ethical issues here. I don't want to get death threats. <laughs> I don't want to get emails. I don't want any of that bullshit. I just want <laughs> to be to live my life, please. <laughs> so I'm not going to call anybody's name. But, you know, as Dr. Chica was speaking, I was just thinking about an exact situation where I had a most devastating experience to the point of being homeless and needed my university to assist me. But after many years, they realized I was good enough to be recognized. And now 
when they were interviewing me, I wanted to talk about that really devastating experience. Oh no. Um, can you just tune it down? <laughs> you know, you create the worst situation in human lives, you know, for example, like colonization and slavery, but yet you expect us to imbibe and stomach those really devastating and life traumatizing experience and pretend as if we are subhumans. We have no feelings. And whenever we are uh, expressing or responding to those pain, it is at the disposal of the white person or the white colonizer or the settler because we are always the other. So yes, a lot of things she said, I'm just like, Mm-hmm. Hmm. Reach his sister. <laughs> Keep it up. Uh, I would just want to uh, jump into our live chat here on YouTube. Uh, Garth says, now nah, this is going to be real talk today. Ben says, I already know that I'm going to need to rewatch this episode. So that's great. Keep the comments coming on our live chat. Uh, you can also shoot us an email. I keep my inbox open through the show to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If you're just joining us on the Mixler live streaming audio app presented by California Closets, uh, you were just hearing from Dr. Veronica Finn Brewery, Dr. Chica C. Daniels, also joining us from Athabasca University. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. We would a lot of talk about EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives, I think prompted, if I can say, I mean, a lot of people have been talking about it. We've been going back almost two years on this show, talking to experts that have uh, chimed in on whether or not it hurts a company's stock price, if it's publicly traded, if the public sees value in EDI uh, investment or initiatives. But most recently, it was the richest man on planet Earth, Elon Musk, that basically tweeted that EDI is racist. And uh, it actually got everybody talking. What would be your your assessment of that, uh, Dr. Downs? You don't look convinced. Well, I mean, Ryan, EDI is really just a very polarizing topic now, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 I am convinced that the premise of EDI has been so adulterated. Um, the, the whole essence of EDI, and, and I'll, I'll try to kind of say this before I answer your question, Ryan, and, and speak to what you're, you're, you're mentioning is the whole premise of of EDI was that in countries like Canada, where is, I mean, by the end of the year, we're going to be 40% multicultural. Mm -hmm. The essence of that, of EDI, is that in countries like this, where there's a fantastic blend of ethnicities and cultures and all these different things, right, is that within all these different communities, there are people who are exceptional. But because there's an original population, for instance, in Canada, Caucasian, a lot of the attention is directed to them because they've been born, they, they are born here, they've been trained here, they've studied here. And so they are sort of grown or developed or trained to function in this society, mm-hmm. right? So EDI is advocating the fact that irrespective of our backgrounds, we're equally educated. I mean, there I say that black people are the most educated people on the planet. You know, I mean, it, it goes without saying many black people have at least two degrees. I remember growing up in Nigeria where at 26 people had a PhD, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it wasn't anything phenomenal. It was almost commonplace. Hmm. Right. So so EDI is saying that within all these different cultures and all these different, you know, um, communities now resident in this new society, they are able to, with what they have, still be exceptional enough and valuable enough to be brought into 
all the different layers and levels of society. Mm-hmm. Now, people are thinking otherwise, which is that Idia is a pity party where just because you want to, you know, meet certain quotas, you know, in terms of, you know, representation. So they're just kind of picking people and they're filling in slots. But but that's wrong, you know? So Idia is saying that despite our backgrounds and being trained, you know, in, 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 in different contexts, there are people who are able to bring value to all these different works of life, you know? And, 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 and because of that, we need to now redirect some attention that would typically go to these original inhabitants, to these people as well, because we, we, we live here, we are add, we're adding significantly in terms of value to this economy as well, you know, and, and therefore we should be at the table. We should be able to talk about the experiences we bring that are able to positively influence and benefit this new setting. And so to say that EDI is racist is honestly, I think is flawed. Mm. I mean, it is flawed, but what because EDI isn't performing what it is supposed to, there's also issues of EDI being kind of a facade. And, and what you see now, right, if I may add this statement as well, is that organizations are hiring from all these different ethnicities, but not hiring, hiring them and putting them where they should be. So, for instance, I know of many organizations who want to say, you know what, we're 20% Black, but what are they doing? What are they doing in those organizations? They are cleaners, they are security staff, they are bookkeepers, they are maintenance. And this, not to say that these aren't good jobs, but the people in these jobs are typically way overqualified for them. And so it, it, it does really skew the value that EDI is supposed to bring to any organization or to any group. You know, so if if it's properly applied, there's fantastic value. And personally, if I can give an example, I, I, I do run a nonprofit where it is intentional in its recruitment. Mm-hmm. We don't duplicate from ethnicities because there's there's such a fantastic blend in Canada, Ryan. So if, if I'm a Nigerian, I wouldn't want to hire a Nigerian. I mean, there's people that I, I can hire who bring a different perspective to things. So why bring someone who is probably going to think the exact same way that I think? What are we doing? You know, so we, we can hire a Caucasian. We can look into gay communities. We, we, we can hire people who are from Ethiopia, from Zambia, from, from the US, from Australia. All these different people who we know now call Canada home and who are coming here to add value as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yeah, I think I'll put a pin in my spiel to let <laughs> Dr. Veronica give her thoughts. I'm as just well. let me say it, it's it's like I just want you guys to keep letting it flow because you're inspiring this <laughs> audience, and I can't wait for this podcast to drop because I know people are going to love it. Um, uh, if if you're just tuning in, that, that was Dr. Chika Daniels also talking to Dr. Veronica Finn Brewy in our live chat. Noob try again says I really appreciate their uncut honesty. Says it's very admirable that these two are being so open and vulnerable about their experiences. This is true strength. Noob says one love uh, on this special edition, of this Black History Month celebration on Real Talk. Um, when we come back uh, from this quick break, 
I want to ask you about your personal experience. And, and uh, Dr. Bruy, I want, I want to circle back to the, the thing. I mean, you talked about intimidation, uh, racism you've experienced in Canada. Both of you have immigrated to Canada from different nations. I want to talk about that experience. Uh, the Canadian population is, is growing and is forecasted to grow dramatically uh, over the next couple of decades. We want to better understand, uh, as, as people born and raised here that don't have other frames of reference outside, maybe uh, having the luxury or privilege of traveling, what new Canadians experience and what people that immigrated to Canada may continue to experience for decades. That coming up in just a moment. You know, Real Talkers, that this conversation is presented by our friends at Athabasca University who want to remind you that the reason that tens of thousands of people from coast to coast to coast are trusting AU with their post-secondary experiences because of the world-class accredited online degrees and courses that are specifically designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you. The only commute is ever going to be your to, to your device. If you need to take time away for a, a family vacation, maybe an illness, maybe you need to help out your parents, maybe you need to help out your kids, you're never going to fall behind because you are dictating the pace the schedule of your studies. And that's probably why more than 94% of AU alumni that are polled say they're satisfied with the quality of their education. More than 92% of them report that they're working in a job related to their field of study. <laughs> There's not a lot of post-secondary institutions that can boast those numbers. You can learn more about the AU Advantage today by visiting AthabascaU.ca. Hey, a shout out to those job seekers out there. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are hiring right now in Alberta and BC. This is Western Canada's busiest solar installer of course as they're approaching spring as well they want to put on your radar the sunny days are getting longer this means increased solar savings are on the horizon kubi's committed to bringing exceptional service to its clients going above and beyond to ensure that your transition to solar is a smooth one whether it's for your home your business uh, maybe even your farm kubi is your one-stop shop for solar installation more than 2,000 completed projects more than 15,000 kilowatts installed Look to Kubi Renewable Energy to bring your solar vision to life. And for job opportunities, to get a free quote, you can simply visit kubienergy.ca. And if your investment in your home, your business is more on the outside, we're talking landscaping, we're talking bringing spaces to life, we personally recommend Eden Landscaping. They've got more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in central and northern Alberta. They listen to clients. They see their vision. They apply their expertise. And the next thing you know, bingo, you've got a space you're loving, a space you're using, a space that not only increases the value of your biggest investment, but also the quality of time you spend there. Work with Eden Landscaping. If you want shovels in the ground this spring or summer, I recommend you make contact with them today at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're talking to Dr. Chika C. Daniels, Dr. Veronica Finn Brewey, both uh, from Athabasca University. And, uh, Veronica, you opened strong, and you basically talked to us about your your experience. Um, to a certain degree, you shared with us what you know what it, what it's like, uh, your perspective, how it's been shaped as a war survivor out of Liberia. But it, it sounds like your introduction to Canada was was far from what most Canadians would desire it be. Can you give us a reality check? What it was like for you? Absolutely. Um, 
there's you know like Dr. Chica it's just so much to say which is why again I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have so much in our belly to share because we constantly stifle and stomp down you know like somebody would say that it's always a white man sitting on our neck to prevent us from breathing and so for that reason we have all this richness within our belly our stomach and we want to share it but we are we are exempted and literally dismissed and prevented from sharing it so sometimes when you have these opportunity it's almost like oh my god i just want to blast out and say all the things i've kept for over 45 years or 50 years that i've been existing do it so um <laughs> <laughs> So I want to thank you again. Um, there are a couple of things I'd like to highlight before I respond to your question. One, I honestly think it is sad and it's pathetic that people who have so much always appear to have so little. The culture we come from, we literally have nothing. And I can pinpoint very vivid instances in my young life growing up in Liberia where I didn't have things like a book. My mother has never bought me a book to read. But now I live in Canada and look at my bookshelf <laughs> and look at my son's bookshelf and still some people, especially white people, can manage to survive in this culture with so much ignorance and irrelevance and irrationality that make them treat us black people or minority or people of color, treat us the way they treat us. So for my humble beginning, like I said, coming from nothing and coming to this country, of course, you're just so elated for the experience because you never had such an experience. How could somebody have so much knowledge, so much resources, and I just wanted that. So I arrived in this country with literally nothing. Two suitcases and 20 US dollars in 2001. That's how I arrived in this country wow. as a refugee sponsored student. It took me less than 10 years to add on five degrees. How is it now somebody is going to sit there with all these resources, never make use of it, and get angry at me. Hmm. For what? What did I do to you to intimidate you that you are now threatened by the struggles, the trauma, the inhumanity I've, I've endured and still endure that will prevent you from letting me to make use of those opportunities? Because once you acquire knowledge, you don't keep it in there. It is supposed to be used and shared, but you prevent us from, you know, sharing our knowledge or trans translating our knowledge because you're now intimidated. How could she possibly? That's the question I always get. How could she possibly come to this country with nothing and now have six degrees and want to take over our whatever? And a sad thing, another sad thing about Canada is always pointing finger to the U.S., which personally I just hate. Always pointing finger to the U.S. that, oh, the Americans are this, the Americans are racist. Why don't you sit down and look inside yourself 
and learn. Because it's not my job to teach you about Black people. It's not my job to teach you about anti-racism. In as much as I have to learn about all the stupid things that you've taught you, imbibed and imposed on me and forced me to learn when it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with my culture, my society, my way of thinking, my way of life. I was forced to learn. I mean, all the university institutions I've gone to, they are all very Eurocentric, dominantly Western. I had to learn that. That's not in, endemic to my background and my indigenous roots and my culture. Now, how is it that you can now have an excuse and put yourself in a place where you think because you have a lighter skin color, you have this complete authority over me and constantly when I appear that presence of my black skin instantly invoke a sense of uncomfortableness, resistance. You're not welcome here. This institution was not created for you. This is not your place. Go back to where you come from over and again. And this is my constant struggle in this country, even as I learn to also decolonize my own mind, my constant struggle. When is it that I will ever see our legal profession having Black people represented? When is it I will ever see laws that are so inherently racist and oppressive struck down and representing the so-called diversity that Canada claims to have? When is it that I will ever see my kind represented in the parliament of Canada? Mm. Or when I go to Ottawa, I will see my kind or I will see indigenous representation in the parliament. I remember asking that question in 2002. I had just immigrated one, less than one year in Canada. I appeared at the parliament uh, in Canada, in Ottawa, and I looked around and there's just this presence of the queen and the representation of English legal system. And I'm like, what the <laughs> where are the indigenous people in Canada Parliament? I mean, forget about me for a moment as a recent migrant to this country. But where are the indigenous where is the indigenous presence? You can keep claiming that you're diverse only to a certain limit, a certain point. You have to sit back and really ask yourselves, and I'm speaking to the listeners, especially white Canadian or Canadians in Edmonton, sit back and ask yourself, why do you treat people of certain background the way you treat them? And be true to yourself in answering that question. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think of some of... Uh the most it's funny this conversation i just want to get the hell out of the way um but i but i want to like add in tiny little points i mean you you talk about uh black politicians uh black people in parliament then you touch on indigenous politicians um i noted that sharon uh who happens to know is is metis sharon's been on this show before she's in our live chat today Uh, she was actually a cop 27 as an indigenous knowledge keeper i mean she is a formidable force and she's saying she says there are many parallels to black history and indigenous history in canada which is very interesting but you know four names uh popped up off the top of my head representing four of in my mind the the grossest mistreatments of women in politics in the last let's say 10 years in canada and that's selena cesar chavanez uh, mm-hmm. A bright liberal MP, 
uh, Enemy Paul, uh, who had a very brief, uh, a tragically brief tenure as the leader of the Green Party. I think mm-hmm. of Mumalak Kakak, uh, the NDP MP out of Nunavut, uh, who cut short uh, by her own uh, decision uh, and has never truly, I don't think, blown the doors off her, the story of hers. I'm waiting for her book to come out. Uh, and then, and I think of Jody Wilson Raybould as well uh, yeah. in Vancouver. Um, there's there's four examples. Uh, you know, I guess at least two things in common. Number one, that they're women. Number two, women of color. Um, so as a nation, uh, it gives us lots to talk about. Um, I appreciate you asking about representation and talking about opportunity. And uh, obviously, Dr. Daniels, you know, your experience, let me just remind people, some may be just joining the stream right now, um, you know, architecture, investment management, private equity, uh, business advisory, community development. You, know, you work in boardrooms. Uh, you work with people that control uh, finances. Uh, you work with people that hire in, in big C-suites and executive jobs. Uh, can you take us into your experience as a black woman in these spaces? What do you think this audience needs to hear? Well, I mean, Ryan, there's, there's a lot, actually. You know? yeah. So I, I, I do echo your thoughts in terms of the fact that we can't... I don't know that Black History Month has been able to really focus on the things that need attention. Mm-hmm. First of all, and, and I will get to your question, um, the, the thing that bothers me the most is that there is so much fanfare around Black History Month but the meat, the substance of Black History Month is often left out. And, 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 and those are things like this conversation we're having, you know, which, we really need to, which allows us to really spotlight what the real issues are and why Black History Month exists in the first place. You know, it's not just a celebration of culture, but also there should be elements of recognition, of, of intentional inclusion, you know, and also um, an opportunity for people to kind of reflect on either they're for or against, you know, and an opportunity to, to plan to do better, right? So so Black History Month, you know, I I, I worry that, you know, for, for years, even in the future, Black History Month will come and go and it will amount to nothing, you know, and it will still be about, you know, printing flyers that has all these, you know, um, cultural fabrics, you know, on them and, and people are putting up things or, or wearing their own idea of what, you know, cultural like attire is for, for the black community. And, and, and this is just a little part mm. of what Black History Month is about, you know, but now in terms of my own experience, you know, as a kind of um, based on my cross sector experience and, you know, working in all these different you know, um, sectors and all that. I mean, again, just to my point earlier is that there isn't representation. And I know that this is about Black History Month and not a Black gender per se, but I do want to say also that Black women mm-hmm. at the bottom of the food chain, Ryan, we are literally at the base of every single ethnicity. There's research that has shown for, for decades mm-hmm. that we keep, you know, where where the ones that suffer the most, you know, in terms of being, you know, that prejudice against us, you know, getting the short end of the stick, it's always been the case. And and so there isn't just an absence of black people, but of black women mm-hmm. in leadership positions, which is why, and I know we all saw this, but but the issue with the Harvard um, um mm-hmm. president yes. was Claudine Gay was really a big deal. You know, because this meant that, you know, 
we thought that change was coming, mm. you know, and that, and that promotion also had come because, you know, we being at the bottom had, so, had suddenly been gotten to the top of one of the most prestigious institutions across the globe. And maybe this would be an eye opener to people that black women really need to get their flowers, you know? And then before we could even blink our eyes, it was over. And I don't know, I don't know whether to say thankfully or not, but you know, there is some some good um, 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 good occurrences that came from that. Is that we started to see that the media and people started to look into all the other previous presidents and saw that none of them was was any was any better than Claudine Gay, and and had even been even more problematic and had more mm. issues attached to them. But because again, their race wasn't in the forefront, they never really got investigated or really right. kind of scrutinized the same way that she was. So we see that across, I mean, just if I can spotlight our industry a bit more, Dr. Veronica and I were, were in, in, in academia, we see that Ryan, 8% of the students in Canadian institutions are Blacks, mm -hmm. but only 1.7% are instructors huh. are, are black and if you think of the population of blacks in canada and we make up now five percent mm -hmm. and, and these are those these are only those who identify as black not those who actually look black who might be black but you know want to kind of you know maybe be more associated with the other mix you know of their race you know so there might be more of us but like if you look at those figures it, it does show you that there's a, a blatant and, you know, utter disregard for allowing Blacks to be represented. Mm. Also, and, and not just in academia. If you think about our government as well, you know, if, if you look at parliament, there's only one Black person, one Black woman, um, um, Honorable Massey Ayn. There, there, there's, in, in the Alberta government as well, there's only one Black person, or I think maybe one or two people you know, and they aren't actually cabinet members. They are in they are deputy ministers, right? You know, so I mean, Ryan, there's just such a lack of 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 really honoring the skill sets and the knowledge and the education that we can bring to improve any context that we're in. Research also shows that black people are the most resilient. Maybe that's why people constantly take the shit on us. Who knows? You know, black <laughs> people are the most enterprising, you know, where we have the highest tendency to make a difference in the places that we are. There's research to show all these things, but people are disregarding that because they say to themselves, I mean, just 30 or so years ago, these people were slaves. How can they now be leading? You know, so that, that so you know, it, it does really kind of um cause one to think. How much more do we as a community need to do to prove that we have earned a, a place where our voices can really be, you know, um, uh, um, amplified? You know, so, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's an utter lack of representation for Black people in any sector, you know, and, and it, it does really, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a topic of conversation for sure that we can go on and on forever. Last, the last time Dr. Dr. Brewer and I were a panel together, one of the things we spoke about is how we need, you know, to, to have more black people who are even instructors, who are teachers. And mm -hmm. what that means for the people that they teach, 
or that they're, they're able to supervise is that they are growing up acknowledging that Black people can teach them new knowledge. And that means that in future generations, they will also seek out Black people to work with, to, 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 to identify as leaders, you know, and, 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 and decide because based on experience that we've provided, that they, they, are, they are capable of delivering at any level and even mm -hmm. many times superseding expectation. So I think that the, the issues with, with um, educational institutions not really allowing Black people to be instructors, but giving them other, you know, responsibilities, administrative tasks, or or other things that are what I would call demeaning based on the, the the breadth of their education and experience, you know, is 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 wrong and is only doing more harm than good, you know, and it's causing a a repetition for future generations to continue to see that black people aren't worth anything, and so we have a chance as an institution, tertiary institution, to change that. I, imagine. I, as, a, as an instructor, I'm teaching my students who are most times 100% Caucasians, saying to them, you know, I'm Nigerian. You know, my one of my degrees was earned in Nigeria. And I'm able to teach you guys, you know? And so it, it changes the mindset. And that's what we need for, for people to appreciate Blacks, a paradigm shift, the, the, the thought process to change from one that shows them as Black people should be staff or should always be in subservient positions to one that allows them to see them differently. So the lens must change. And these opportunities to change that in institutions where, you know, the, 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 the president is black, instructors are black, you know, student union presidents are black. Those are opportunities to begin to change the mindsets of generations that are coming after us. If we see now, as we see now that the ones in our generation are really hard and fast, and it will probably take you know, a, 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 a miracle from God to change people's minds at this point. So maybe we should focus on the younger generation, you know, and see what we can do with them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, Ryan, I can, can I, I can, interrupt yes, please do. a little bit of uh, addendum to uh, qualifies just a little bit of what um, Dr. Chika just said, especially regarding the fact that we, there's research that shows that especially black women are noted for being quite resilient. When you look at a history of um, racism, as we know, it's very irrational, but claims that certain people have small, have small brains, their skulls are smaller, are more closer to the ape family. And this is from evolutionary biology kind of thing. And these are the reason through that uh, irrational uh, aspect of imagining this is Eurocentric, Europeans classifying Africans, indigenous people as having small brains and not capable of it being intellectual as white people. And this deep historical root led, coupled with religion, led to colonization and slavery. And the assumption that we are subhumans not intelligent enough, but it can be good workers. We can help produce what the white men want, want. And so we are to be put to work and be owned as a property, as a chattel. 
that concept of racism, colonization, and slavery is so deeply rooted and ingrained. And of course, thank you for putting the picture up because that's my history, which is, you know, very much couched into slavery and the returnees of Black people to Liberia. That history is so uh, important to learn that rather than, and when I say that I feel sad for white people who are so ignorant, they have so much resources and are not willing to learn. This is exactly what I'm referring to, that that history or those histories need to be seriously learned as Dr. Chika has alluded to. And white people need to really reflect and think about not burning the books, not excluding the books from the library, and face that uncomfortable uh, aspect of their history. Yes, just imagine it. You are uncomfortable to face slavery and racism because your generation was the one that enslaved my people. And now you live in that privilege. You are uncomfortable with that. But think about my generation and my kind of people actually enduring the, the, the repercussions of what you've done. It's incomparable. But your uncomfortableness is okay to put you in a position where you don't want to learn and you don't want to learn our history so that you don't repeat and go back to uh, Dr. Chica's point. So that aspect of thinking that Black women are resilient because we were considered from the very invention of racism, slavery, and colonization, we were thought of being subhumans. And so we are capable of um, absorbing the most dehumanizing experience and yet the ability to persist to the point where, you know, uh, this professor in the U.S. committed suicide. Because, yes, the angry, strong Black woman, she can endure anything. She can go through the worst experience and still we can stomp on her and, and tomorrow she will rise up again. Mm. Personally, I refuse to take that position mm. and I'm not taking that position now that I have learned and realized my health and well-being supersedes any other thing that exists on this universe. Mm. So I refuse to occupy that position. Don't treat me as a superwoman. I, I go back to the song, song, I'm not your superwoman. Don't treat me as a subhumor. You go ahead and continue to do what make you feel comfortable and accepted and, and white supremacist or whatever position you want to take. But I'm not going to give in to that warped ideology that has no bearing in evidence or reality that I'm a subhumor and I'm, a, I'm able to endure the worst of humanity. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Uh, I can't say it any better than uh, Leslie in our chat who says, this is incredible. Both of you are giving her goosebumps. Uh, so there you go. Um, typically, we'll wrap up our Friday roundtable conversations with a call to action, uh, you know, a chance for our guests to kind of sum up their message or, 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 or give our audience almost a, a, a mandate or a directive or some homework or something to think about. To be honest with you, I feel like this entire conversation has been a call to action. Um, so why, why don't we just treat these next couple of moments as making sure, and, and obviously we could talk for hours, uh, but we're grateful for your time and respectful of it. Um, 
just an opportunity to to, to ensure uh, that we're not missing something important in the context of Black History Month uh, for our audience across the country, in particular Western Canada. Uh, Dr. Daniels, why don't you go first? What's something uh, that you maybe haven't said already that you want people to walk with through the month of February and beyond? Awesome. Thank you, Bri Thank you, Ryan. Mm. And I can't believe it's already 45 minutes since I know. we know. You know, and, and there is much more to say, but sure. you know, we'll keep that for another time for sure. But uh, first of all, I do want to start off by saying thank you for the platform, Ryan. I mean, for us to, for you to launch your platform for such a fantastic cause, you know, is really something worthy of note. So I appreciate that for sure. I, I want to say that, you know, Black History Month, while we want to obviously not forget the years, you know, of being mistreated, you know, and and owned like cattle and all that, as as Dr. Brewey said, we also wanted to be a time where people are celebrating the achievements and the contributions from the Black community. And it's also a time to spread awareness and to learn more. The whole idea that people need to learn from a Black person is, is skewed, is, is incorrect sit down, take time and study. Like there's books that can educate. And I think that the most important thing, I mean, I grew up in a home where my dad said to me that if you're educated, you can never be at a loss. Like you need to keep that quest for knowledge, you need to know more. And which is why we as black people have also learned social intelligence. We know that we shouldn't be maniacal in our emotions in public spaces. You know, we've learned things that have allowed people to give us a little bit more dignity, you know, than they do. We understand that you, you can act anyhow or anyway in, 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 in contexts that aren't dominated or where it's only people of your kind because we're very quick to be labeled you know, oh, that's a mad black woman. Don't deal with her. That mm. That's an angry black woman. That's a this, that's a that. So the same way that we're learning, we, we also think, and literally at this point, it is necessary that people take time to educate themselves. You know, and, and Black History Month is a time for people to learn our histories, our traditions, our cultures. Don't go around touching people's hair. Don't ask them, can I feel your hair? Is that your hair? You know? Oh my God, you speak English? Wow. Did you always live outside of your home country? Like all of those things show that there's a, a, a rife uh, um, ignorance in a country like Canada where people are thinking that it's super educated. You know, like there's so much to be done. So, and, and Black History Month is about the Black race. Any organization owes it to the community to spotlight black people. There shouldn't be an organization at this point that doesn't take time in February to celebrate black, even if they don't do it all year round. February should be a time when they're really centering black people. You know, search within your organization, search outside your organization as well. Do something that supports the black communities. It is important that we're also paying attention to doing our own quota as individuals to ensure that we're not propagating the idea that blackness is a problem, blackness is a disease, blackness should be eradicated. We should do our part to ele elevate and advocate for change in the way black people are treated, how they are conceived, how they are perceived. You know, so there's 
there's so much to be done. You know, there's possibilities. I mean, I, I now it, it's hard to imagine a a, a world where 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 we are seen as the next person who is in black. You know, the exact same way, but. The, the duty and the task of that change lies on us now to begin to change the way that we think about the community and so that we're changing the narrative. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Hey, thank you. Uh, Dr. Veronica, you got last word. Yes. Thank you so much, <laughs> Ryan. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, my heart is full. Mine too. Uh, and I'm just so, I, I love Dr. Chika <laughs> so much because you just, Pounding and saying the right things that's just you know making my heart to to bounce and just be so ex- excited and appreciative that I can have a sister. You know, both of us are from West Africa, right? We are from very feisty countries, Liberia and Nigeria. <laughs> so it's it's so heartwarming, Dr. Chika, to listen to you and learn from you as well. Mm-hmm. Um uh all I want to say is Dr. Chika has said it all. My call to action is read a book. <laughs> just just read a book. And if you want the first suggestion, I will recommend Robin DeAngeli, White Fragility. Mm-hmm. Just read that book, okay? It's written by a white woman. So don't come over with excuses. It's black people writing all kind of shit. It's white woman writing about white fragility. And I think Robin, and I know Robin personally, I think Robin does a very good job in how she uh, wrote the book. And based on her experience as a white woman, what raises him? Yes, thank you. <laughs> for people for people on the podcast, we've just shown uh, Dr. D'Angelo's website. People can check out RobinD'Angelo.com. Absolutely, yeah. she's fantastic. So just, just we start with reading a book. And um, that's all I will say. That's my call to action. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Brian from Athabasca University. I'm sure you're listening. Yeah, thinking of us. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Brian Alary and uh, Aaron Stevenson, the entire team at Athabasca University. To be honest with you, uh, I was chatting with them. I I don't know, maybe a month ago or something like that. And I said, uh, obviously, that you know, we're going to be recognizing uh, Black History Month. And I said, and you know, we have our Friday Real Talk Roundtable, and we want to put something together. And and Brian goes. Do I have a duo for you? He says. <laughs> he says these two, and uh, and let me tell you, like, and just I, I want to read a couple comments before we thank you for your time. I know we've kept you into overtime here, but but like, just you, you've obviously made a real, you know, you've resonated with this audience. Idris says, "What an interesting point about setting those clear boundaries." He says, "I'm learning a great deal here." He says, "The enjoyment of Black History Month is key. Learning about communities and people uh, goes as deep." As you want to go, which is an awesome point from Idris. And then I also saw one from Heidi who said, I appreciate these two guests so much. Heidi says, I know that they may have been nervous to come on the show, but I'm so glad that they did. What an impactful experience it's been for Heidi and for this audience for myself as well uh we've been chatting with Dr. Veronica Finn Bruy and Dr. Chika C. Daniels uh, from Athabasca University my gratitude to you both thanks for keeping it real thank you for having us you got it Black History Month
<laughs> there you go. Unbelievable. Hey, this is uh, Johnny. Obviously, uh, as we thank our guests, this this is exactly what the Real Talk Roundtable is intended to be. Yeah. Um, we had a bunch of, let me just say, like to pull back the curtain for a little bit, we had some like video assets and some photos and stuff we could show about black history in Alberta. And and obviously that's very important. And I encourage people like look into the communities like Wildwood and Amber Valley and like an, an incredible story. There's some tough, obviously, parts of, of black history in Alberta and Canada to present day. <laughs> but this went in an entirely different direction. You couldn't get more personal you couldn't get more first person perspective on this. Um, and in my mind, there's, there's, uh, I mean, I see a lot of people saying here, you know, how about this from Tracy who says education comes in many forms, formal classrooms, apprenticeships, mentorships, mm-hmm. self-study, and yes, real talk mm-hmm. podcasts. And I just felt like our, our dynamic duo today delivered in a big way. Amazing. And we didn't, we didn't need all the videos and stuff. They painted a picture, but yeah. I, I really like the uh, point of just, it's celebrating black history all the time. It's yeah. not just a month. And I know, <laughs> you know, as two white guys sitting here, it's hard sometimes, right? Because we haven't lived, we haven't walked in those shoes. But I really like that point uh, from, from the doctor who said celebrate all the time. I'll be celebrating tonight. Me as a DJ, when I go out tonight, I'm going to play a bird dog just down the street. Shout out to them. You're, you're going to be like, oh, there's a freebie. <laughs> yeah, bird, bird dog now owes me two grand, but you go ahead. You go but, ahead. I mean, I look at all the music I play as a DJ, all all the best music came from creative black minds, hip hop, mm. house music, mm. rock and roll. It's all from black. I, I mean, I could go down the list. People have this small opinion of, you know, we're living in North America. We're living in this white world. But so many creative black minds gave us so many things. It's so true. Traffic signals, refrigerated trucks, automatic elevator doors. I'm reading a list right here. Colored monitors for desktop computers, uh, treatment for cataracts, home security systems. I could read forever on the things that surround us that we just assume are North American white culture based. They're not. So I I noticed you you would have noticed as well when the show opened today. um, And I I won't scroll back in the chat that far. But like a lot of people, uh, a lot of our audience members just came to the table today talking about black Canadians that have most inspired them um, and, mm-hmm. and across different fields, which I thought was really neat. Um, Sharon's recommending that people check out the Breton Museum. Um, it looks like it closes for the winter season, but when it opens in spring, you can check out bretonmuseum.ca. A lot of you are, are pointing out that there have been many film projects and, and documentaries uh, that have been produced uh, commemorating and recognizing and, and teaching about black history in Canada. Um, uh, Dwayne says that he's taken that in as well. I love this from Virtuous Sloth who says, can, can we just have these guests back on some other time to talk about like a general topic? I would love to hear them again. A hundred percent. I mean, like, you know, we just like Dr. Daniels. I mean, like her, we didn't even get into her experience in investment management and architecture. She's won a ton of awards. Like we, yes. So I understand. I take your point. Absolutely. I always feel like we keep this roster. I say a Rolodex, you know, sort of like in jest, we don't actually have a physical one, but we keep this roster uh, of guests and experts that when subject matter pops up, we go, well, who's best on the, who do we know can deliver? Who's really made an impression on this audience? And I think it's safe to say uh, we've added two names to that list today. And so our thanks to them. Uh, we know this audience is engaged politically. We're going to turn the page in just a second. Want to do a bit of a week in review. We'll call it, we'll call it a week and a half in review for the candidates uh, to this point, the three of them, all three of them women. Uh, very interesting developments between uh, uh, Sarah Hoffman and Racky Pancholi's camp, who saw 66% of leadership candidates agreeing that the carbon tax needs to go. That's an interesting one. Kathleen Ganley appearing on the Discourse podcast this week. We're going to bring you a snippet of that. But first, of course, we got to remind you as well, and, and I'll have a take on Sarah Hoffman's uh, appearance on this show yesterday, <laughs> debuting her campaign video on 
unbelievable stuff. Uh, I've never seen a campaign video quite like Hoffman's. I loved it. If you missed that episode, that's the February 15th episode of Real Talk. Find it anywhere in our YouTube or podcast archives. This conversation... Today's show is happening with the support of our friends at Apex Automation who are putting out a a very focused message. If you're an engineer or soon to be one, if you're in university right now, anywhere in Canada or beyond, and this podcast has found you, they're hiring right now. And Apex does things a little bit differently. Yeah, sure, they're Canada's fastest growing automation firm. I mean, that doesn't hurt their message, uh, but their goal, I mean, the sole purpose of their team is to create long-term trusting authentic business relationships built on integrity that result in their clients getting the highest quality solutions to achieve optimal production and operational excellence at apex people matter check out apexautomation.ca to learn more about the company why they value intelligence ingenuity and integrity those are their three pillars you can see more about what they do at work and you can see more about what they do at play this is a team that is all about bringing people together and helping them realize their potential. Check out the careers link. Could be the first day of the rest of your life at apexautomation.ca. Our friends at Complete Care Restoration want to remind you that should disaster strike, they hope it never does. They hope you never call them. But if you experience fire, flood, burst pipes, maybe you opened up a wall for what you thought might be a small-scale renovation, but you found black mold. Maybe you've realized that your home has asbestos in it, your business Don't mess around with this yourself. Trust the talented professionals that are ready to respond 24-7 at Complete Care Restoration. You can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. California Closets is here to help you get on track with that. Do I say New Year's resolution? When do we stop talking about New Year's resolutions? I know that a lot of people... Mine are screwed, so let's just move on. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. I'll stop shining the spotlight. But there are people, this is just me talking to myself, that promise to declutter, that promise to get organized. California Closets wants to help you with that. So whether it's a storage closet, uh, my wife's dreaming up this new arts and crafts center that'll integrate into the rest of our cabinetry. They can do the primary bedroom walk-in or reach-in closets. They can help you turn your spare room into a home office or vice versa. Never mind what they can do with your laundry room. Never mind what they can do with your garage. That's next level stuff. California Closets does custom closets and storage solutions better than anybody else. You can find them online at californiaclosets.ca. And before we get to politics talk, our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that in their 16 uh, different stores across the province of Alberta, soon to be 17, by the way, we're going to have an announcement for you next couple of months in West Edmonton. They're going to be, of course, focusing on a couple of different things, and that includes Heart Month. Through the month of February, Friesen Brothers is proud to support the University Hospital Foundation and the Mazankowski Alberta Heart Institute. You can check out their flyer at friesen.com slash heartmonth to learn a little bit more about heart-healthy products. Could be fruits and veg, lean meats, fresh fish, nutritious grains, even some of the meals pre-prepared by their Red Seal chefs. You'll find it all on their website or in one of their... 16 stores, Friesen Brothers, Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. 
New right. try again in our chat saying, screaming, get them back, get them back, get them back. Talking about our guest today. Part of me was like, and I only know just because they let us know that they had other things going on today. And obviously we appreciate our guest time. Um, but uh, that was kind of, you kind of got the sense that conversation could have gone on for about six hours. <laughs> we could have done <laughs> you know two I mean? days worth of shows. It, it started strong and it just held that level, yeah. which I'm so grateful for. Uh, Alberta's NDP leadership race uh, is now three deep. The field, uh, you've got uh, two former cabinet ministers. All three of them are MLAs. Of course, former Justice Minister Kathleen Ganley, first out of the gates. Uh, then you had uh, Racky Pancholi, the MLA out of Edmonton, White Mud, and Sarah Hoffman on Super Bowl Sunday. You know what I realized after? I forgot to ask. I promised Charles Adler mm-hmm. I would ask Sarah Hoffman why she launched her campaign on Super Bowl Sunday. And then I think that video just knocked my socks off yesterday. And Blew my mind, my mind went blank, <laughs> and I forgot to ask her about launching on Super Bowl Sunday. Not that it's the most important detail. Um, but, but I wanted to note, Racky Pancholi dropping another bomb. She was the first out of the gates talking about Alberta maybe getting rid of its consumer carbon tax. Uh, she made the announcement exclusively here on Real Talk. Well, another one this week where Racky has openly mused about whether or not those that hold Alberta NDP party memberships should automatically hold federal NDP memberships. Now, this has been, I think, a roadblock for a lot of people that are on the fence, maybe the moderates, maybe the former progressive conservatives. Like we're talking about a pool, a pretty deep pool in the province of Alberta. And and what do candidates have to do if they want to win this race, if they want to be the next leader of the official opposition, if they want to go up against the UCP and potentially be the next premier of Alberta? They got to fundraise, they got to sell memberships, and they got to get out the vote. And I think that this is a smart one from Racky Pancholi. Uh, the release in part reads that membership in one political party should not require membership in another. Strong first sentence. She says Albertans who want to join the Alberta NDP, and so many of them are excited to join us in shaping our future should get to decide if they also want to be a member of the federal NDP. She goes on to talk about her own experience buying a membership with the provincial party so she could run, obviously. And she said, I was surprised to learn that by doing so, I automatically became a member of a federal party, the federal NDP. She says, now many current Alberta NDP members support the federal NDP. And then she says, many do not. She says each member should be able to make that choice for themselves. She says in running for leader, my goal is to build an inclusive party. She says we limit our ability to grow our party and to bring more Albertans in by forcing a federal political party affiliation on them. She says it's time to start the conversation. Let's break down barriers to participation. Let's write the next chapter in Alberta's story. Now, this is probably going to ruffle some feathers with the old guard, but to speak plainly, The old guard is not supporting Racky Pancholi in this race. The old guard is split right now between the two former cabinet ministers. If what is being said is to be believed, they believe that just, you know, former Justice Minister Ganley, former Health Minister Hoffman have paid their dues. They've been in cabinet. They've been here longer. They're the establishment choice. And despite the fact that Racky Pancholi is a skilled and formidable MLA, if you believe the rumblings to be true, she does not have the support of the most ardent and steadfast longtime party members. I love the move. I think she's on to something. I think it's been a long time coming. I think that many uh, prominent NDP uh, elected officials, uh, whether they're MLAs, whether they're past cabinet ministers, whether it's former premier Rachel Notley, have seen 
the problematic nature of that membership, the fact that if you're going to buy a membership in Alberta's NDP, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you've got a membership in the party led by Jagmeet Singh, uh, the party with which your values may not align, not even close. But you may see the Alberta NDP as, if I may say, an unofficial progressive conservative choice that has been a barrier to participation. I like that Racky has the guts to put it out there, and I think that that's going to resonate with a lot of people. She's not afraid to be unpopular with the establishment. She's not afraid to play, if I can say, the villain early in the race, and I'm excited and interested to see how this will deepen and spur on the other two candidates. And, of course, we're waiting to see more announcements as well. When you do see those announcements happen, rest assured, you'll be hearing from those candidates, at least the serious ones, right here on Real Talk. Now, the first to announce was Kathleen Ganley. And this week on The Discourse, uh, the political podcast hosted by uh, Cheryl Oates and Erica Barutis, uh, Kathleen Ganley joined them. The episodes are out every Thursday. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Johnny, you want to tee up a, a quick highlight? Here's Kathleen Ganley with Erica and Cheryl on the discourse. Typically, you see the first person out of the gate come with like a bold policy. We didn't see kind of a big bold policy until kind of a week after. Maybe walk me through that strategy. What I really want to talk about is the economy and why the economy needs to work for people. Sometimes uh, as New Democrats, we shy away from speaking about the economy in our frame. And I really do think that our position on the economy, that giving more to those at the bottom and those in the middle is better for the economy. I actually think that that's a much better position. So I wanted to start there, uh, talking about how the economy needs to work for people, talking about how we need to fund education, because actually that's fiscally responsible. You get $6 back for every dollar invested. It's not all because of Rachel Notley that we've been incredibly successful over the last decade, but a lot of it has been down to Rachel Notley. So maybe talk a little bit about what you're trying to do differently. Rachel has done incredible things for us. Um, you know, as someone who was a progressive in Calgary for pretty much my whole life, when I first put my name forward to run, there really wasn't um, a lot of hope that we were going to be successful. And that has changed. Uh, we are a real force in this problem province. This is, you know, a real thing that can go forward. So I think that that is a really big deal. It's not just here in Alberta, it's throughout um, the world. We see sort of political leaders are increasingly the focus of what the conversation is about. Um, I would like to make the conversation about ideas, about policy, about a team that is competent to lead. And I think that this is a really good moment for that because I believe like my take on the worst thing about our current government, which is you know my job to criticize them, um, my take on the worst thing about them is actually that they're incompetent. I think I have the experience to govern. I think I have the team around me to build a really incredible future and to do the hard work that's necessary to do that. Um, and I think I am willing and able to talk about the economy and to talk about it in our frame, to talk about why giving more to those at the bottom and in the middle does better for everyone and why that's better for the economy. There you have it. Calling the current government of Alberta incompetent. That was Kathleen Ganley on this week's episode of The Discourse. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, encourage you to subscribe on YouTube as well. Just search The Discourse, Erica and Cheryl. Conversation yesterday with Sarah Hoffman, uh, I think probably the most notable part of it was her debuting her campaign video on our show where she opens. She says, I'm not the type of person you're supposed to find in politics. She says, I'm fat, I'm sassy, and I'm really bad at pretending to be something I'm not. 
and then just went from there. And we got a ton of feedback from people that said that, well, they didn't expect to see what they saw from Hoffman. I think maybe some people thought that she, I don't know, that she, she might grab less of the spotlight that it, that it, she might not launch her campaign with as with as much of a bang as she did but she had everybody's attention with her video yesterday and if i can just say it and spell it out one of the big successes of her releasing that video was that it had people comparing her video to Racky Pancholi's video and that was the video that had half a million views within the first 24 hours it was out as well so that's mm-hmm. got to be a win if you're on the Hoffman production team now there's still a ton of time between now and uh, mi- the middle of June I think it's June 22nd that this leadership vote is happening that we expect that the candidate field will deepen uh, we expect that more will happen but one of the early developments that I'm finding to be particularly interesting is that two out of three of the candidates are saying that the carbon tax formula despite the fact and i'm going to show you this from sarah hoffman in 10 seconds from now she was sitting in cabinet a senior cabinet minister the deputy premier in 2015 when rachel notley rolled out alberta's climate leadership plan hoffman says now that consumer carbon tax needs to go the climate leadership plan when we brought it in i thought was revolutionary i thought it was going to make a really big difference and absolutely it has on methane reductions we've got you know uh, danielle smith traveling the world talking about how great we are at reducing methane thank you to the ndp uh climate leadership plan we've phased out coal-powered electricity again something that happened in the climate leadership plan tier or the industrial carbon rate has been successful we've seen uh, it have a really positive impact but the consumer carbon tax was taken over after you know, we lost the election in 2019. It was taken over by the federal government. And then the federal government uh, undermined confidence in that carbon tax, particularly when they decided to look at polling and let it decide who they were going to exempt from having to pay it. And when they exempted the East Coast, it absolutely undermined the whole thing. And I think it's important that we, Albertans want us to act on climate change. They want us to be leaders on this. Uh, this tool is broken. Uh, Justin Trudeau and and I would say the conservative uh, and NDP governments uh, haven't uh, given it the, the legs that it needed. It definitely doesn't have public confidence. So I don't think uh, we should continue with a consumer-based carbon tax. That was Sarah Hoffman on the February 15th episode of Real Talk. You can find that in our archives if you want to check out uh, the full interview. Uh, interesting from Alberta girl in the chat who says Hoffman has baggage that might make her popular in the party but could kill her public appeal uh it'll be hard for her to change that i appreciated her taking a comment uh or taking a question about her her infamous sewer rats comment uh which personally by the way i didn't have a real problem with uh, anybody who knows knows exactly who she was talking about and uh she was talking in particular uh, about the voldemort of canadian media entities those whom we will not name uh, but she was talking about the slimiest of the slimy the lowest of the low and I didn't mind the sewer rats comment. As a matter of fact, I texted Hoffman shortly after she apologized for making that comment, as she reminded us on the show on February 15th. I said, I don't think you should have apologized. She said, well, thank you for your opinion. Thanks for sharing. But she did. Uh, that was one I have to assume that Alberta girls referencing and another would have been uh, her involvement in by by way of being a senior cabinet minister. She was the health minister. She wasn't the ag minister, but still bill six, of course, which was probably uh, the most unpopular move that the NDP made, although you may get differing opinions on what that may be. Uh, Rachel Notley described that in a recent interview with us as the end of the honeymoon. That was kind of the farm worker safety legislation. And Hoffman touches on that in our interview, our February 15th interview. If you want to hear her response to that uh, i encourage you to check it out 
Every Friday, our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, that's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, uh, give us a chance to blow off a little steam. This is a chance for you to bring the heat and, and give us your hot takes. These are all real emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's the flamethrower presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. This one from Garth who says, Jespo, if you could, I'd like to level the vibes, as we say in Jamaica, on a matter that I find is befitting uh, for your show on Black History Month. And and what I want non-black, non-racial minorities to understand is if we truly intend to continue moving forward as humanity, we have to learn what belongs where and when. Garth says, now I'm a proud black Jamaican who chose Canada as home and I took the oath of citizenship. I love this country, especially Alberta, and I will vigorously defend it. Hell, Alberta is the only home that my kids know. But a little jousting in your live chat on YouTube with a guy by named Plain Power on Tuesday's show had me thinking about the true meaning of allyship and what it truly means for racial majorities and minorities. Don't get me wrong, says Garth. My message is one of love. He says to plain power, I'm not going to assume their gender or race, but they chose to assume mine in suggesting that my reasons for criticizing uh, Dr. Jody Gondek, the mayor of Calgary, Ryan, your Tuesday interview with her must be because of her race and gender. Now I'll say to those who may find themselves in this situation, thinking you're defending somebody by invoking their race, even though they don't play that card, you need to think twice about that. We live in a time where non-black, non-racialized minorities feel emboldened to accuse anybody of being racist when they want to win an argument. Let me clear the air, says Garth. We don't appreciate it. If you're going to be an ally, be an honest one. The accusation of racism is not something I play around with. You can destroy somebody's livelihood, their family life, even their life in general with a simple accusation of racism. And it really irked me to see somebody try to tell me that I'm a racist against another minority without even understanding who I am. All because they just desperately wanted to win an argument. It's people like those that threaten to throw racial harmony back into the dark ages as they seek to use something they don't know or have experience with as a club to beat their opponents over the head. And for those claiming to be allies and using racism as a weapon against their opponents, keep your strength. We don't need your help nor energy. One love from Garth. How about this one from Joe, who says, addressing to the people who ignore or oppose the idea of climate change, says, I hope you're right. You know, the climate is cyclical and this will all right itself, you know, figure itself out, maybe within a generation, even though the majority of scientists and statisticians claim otherwise. I hope that this spring and summer we get enough rain that resolves Alberta's drought situation. But if that doesn't come to fruition, are we prepared for what's upon us? You know, the Calgary Herald reporting that depending on how severe the drought is, the energy sector may need to stop producing. If there isn't enough water for the bare necessities every aspect of our lives will be affected every sector will suffer which will drive up inflation joe says conservatives pride themselves as the party that opposes government overreach opposes regulations how will the ucp enforce water shortage compliance if it indeed does become severe no apologies for the apocalyptic undertones but marlena danielle smith's denialist government is not prepared for the brewing shitstorm. how do they expect to fight wildfire fires during a drought. It's only going to exacerbate the wildfires. No amount of arson propaganda will quell public outcry when we can't breathe, we're drowning in debt, and we're parched from a lack of leadership. People who spend most of their time putting out fires are usually the arsonists. Stay optimistic, deniers. Pray to David Parker. Hope he brings you rain. 
The rest of us should sing along with Baloo and worry about the bare necessities. That from Average Alberta Joe. I love it. How about this one from Shannon, whose email simply reads, excuses, excuses, excuses. She wrote in, says, I'm disgusted with flight disruptions my family's experienced with Air Canada over the past year. She says, if I was late to work this often, I'd be fired immediately. We've paid good money, over $7,000 this year for services that Air Canada provides. We've never made it to a single destination on time once. I cannot comprehend, says Shannon, how business can be run this way. If you look at our wasted time, it totals more than 54 hours, 44 minutes. She's keeping track and says, you're telling us about technical issues, operational issues. You're able to wash your hands of responsibility and it's unacceptable. She says, I do have one question though. If there are that many technical and maintenance issues with your planes, should you even be in operation right now? It's believable to receive a message like this for one flight, but for each and every one, Give me a break. She says, these delays have caused my daughter missed university classes, missed work, lost wages, extra expenditures, but no, Air Canada is not responsible. Again, she says, it's believable to claim maintenance or technical issues once, but Air Canada needs to stop lying and tell the truth and, says Shannon, be better. And this one here from Melanie, who says, I'm still experiencing so much anger with the UCP's policy toward transgender youth. We all know the true agenda behind this oppressive policy. It's intolerance and hatred toward minority groups. But to tack on this vague policy about trans women competing in sports is ridiculous. And the truth behind the add-on policy is quite revealing believing there's an unfair advantage with trans women competing in sports, then why not just get rid of all women's sports completely? The idea might not be as far-fetched as you might think. Zealous evangelicals have been trying to reimpose this on females for decades. I should know after removing myself from an extremely religious upbringing and background. The last thing, says Melanie, that the patriarchy wants is for females to discover their strength, exert their independence, and achieve excellence in activities outside of their God-given roles and responsibilities abilities. The slippery slope of taking away one group's human rights will extend to another group, then another, then another. And the first on the chopping block are trans youth and adults in Alberta. The end results could be all human rights stripped away from the undesirables and shall only remain for those deemed to be deserving by the chosen few. Melanie then signs off. Thank you for allowing me to vent my frustration. Melanie, thanks for doing it. You can send us your flamethrower. Fire it up at talk at ryanjesperson.com and make sure when you visit a DQ in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park, you let them know real talk sent ya. Coming up next week, we got a whole lot going on, including an interview, a big one that we can't even give you details on yet. You're not going to want to miss it. Have a great long weekend, everybody. We're back live on Tuesday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.